Hi, I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now! Our journalism is powered by you, not by any corporation or government. That means we count on your support to produce our daily news hour. Please make your donation of $5 or $10 or more at democracynow.org. Every dollar makes a difference. Thank you so much. From New York, this is Democracy Now! Sometimes the Israeli army doesn't want you there, so they target you, even if they later say it was an accident. They might say, we saw some young men around you. So they target you on purpose, as a way of scaring you off, because they don't want you there. Those were the words of Shireen Abu Akleh, the Palestinian-American journalist shot dead by an Israeli soldier six months ago. The FBI recently launched a probe into her death, but Israel's refusing to cooperate. We'll look at the new Al Jazeera documentary, The Killing of Shireen Abu Akleh, and speak to Shireen's niece, Lena Abu Akleh, as well as Sharifa Belkadus, the correspondent on the piece. Then, when high school students in Rockland County, New York, invited renowned activist and professor Angela Davis to speak, the venue got shut down twice. But the students persevered, and Angela Davis addressed a packed church last night. I'm very sorry for your sake that um, there are those in this community who decided to attempt to disrupt an encounter that was only designed to further the education of young people in this community. We'll speak to Angela Davis and NIAC NAACP President Nikki Hines. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. The Senate's approved a bill imposing a new union contract on tens of thousands of rail workers, prohibiting them from going on strike. Just 15 senators voted against the legislation Thursday. It requires some 60,000 freight rail workers who'd previously rejected tentative union contracts to keep working or face termination. Senators rejected an amendment to extend bargaining by another 60 days. Another measure, which would have added seven paid sick days, failed to break a filibuster after 42 Republican senators and West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin opposed it. Vermont Independent Senator Bernie Sanders spoke from the Senate floor ahead of Thursday's vote. And yet today in that injury, workers who do difficult and dangerous work have zero paid sick days. Zero. You get sick, you got a mark against you, a couple of marks, you get fired. This cannot and must not happen in America in 2022. All 435 House Congress members and 100 senators are entitled to unlimited paid sick leave. President Biden, who pledged as a candidate to be the most pro-union president in U.S. history, has promised to sign the unpopular deal into law. 
The Supreme Court's agreed to hear a case challenging President Joe Biden's student debt relief plan. On Thursday, the court said it would allow decisions by lower courts blocking debt relief to stand while the case proceeds. Oral arguments are scheduled for February. Biden's plan calls for the cancellation of up to $20,000 in student debt each for tens of millions of borrowers. In a statement, the Student Borrower Protection Center said, quote, once again, the credibility of the Supreme Court rests on its ability to recognize what we all know to be true, canceling student debt is legal and necessary to secure the financial futures of 40 million Americans. President Biden welcomed French President Emmanuel Macron to the White House Thursday evening for the first state dinner of Biden's presidency. The formal state visit came after Macron met Biden in the Oval Office, where they discussed trade policy and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. In a joint news conference after their meeting, President Macron said he planned to hold talks with Russian President Vladimir Putin in the coming days. Biden said he is ready to meet with Putin, but only if certain conditions are met. Bombing nurseries, hospitals children's homes. It's sick what he's doing. But the fact of the matter is, I have no immediate plans to contact Mr. Putin. I'm prepared to speak with Mr. Putin if, in fact, there is an interest in him deciding he's looking for a way to end the war. He hasn't done that yet. This comes as the Pentagon considers plans to send long-range missiles to Ukraine, including a proposal from Boeing to supply ground-launched small-diameter bombs. Meanwhile, The Intercept reports the Biden administration is considering giving Kyiv one of the premier U.S. weapons of the war on terror, the Gray Eagle drone, the successor to the widely used Predator. In Israel, incoming Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has sealed a coalition deal with the ultra-nationalist religious Zionism party, bringing Netanyahu closer to securing his new extremist government. Under the deal, the religious Zionism party will take control of Israel's finance ministry and will oversee the expansion of illegal settlements in the occupied West Bank. In related news, Israel's incoming national security minister, the far-right Itamar Ben-Gavir, received a warm welcome Thursday at an event hosted by the Embassy of the United Arab Emirates. Ben-Gavir was previously convicted of racist incitement against Arabs and supporting a terrorist group. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa is facing mounting calls to resign and could face impeachment after an independent investigation found he may have broken anti-corruption laws. The case involves the alleged theft of millions of dollars from Ramaphosa's private game farm, which he's accused of covering up then stashing some of the cash in a leather sofa. Ramaphosa maintains the reported uh, theft and the money found in the sofa was actually from the sale of buffaloes from his farm. South Africa's ruling African National Congress is meeting today to discuss Ramaphosa's fate. In Guatemala, the prominent investigative newspaper El Periodico has shut down its print edition after months of attacks and harassment from the right-wing government of President Alejandro Giamate. The paper's president and founder, José Rubén Zamora, remains in pretrial detention after he was arrested in July, accused of money laundering and extortion charges denounced by human rights and press freedom groups as political retaliation over exposés of government corruption. El Periodico was founded in 1996. It's unclear how it'll survive with just an online edition and a reduced staff. In a final editorial column written from his prison cell, Zamora said, quote, it has been 30 years of struggle against corruption and impunity against governmental abuses and terrorism in favor of freedom, transparency and accountability. 
A new Amnesty International report confirms Colombian police targeted women and LGBTQ plus people with sexual harassment, torture and forced nudity as part of a nationwide crackdown on protests in 2021 against the right-wing government of former President Ivan Duque. Amnesty International Secretary General Agnes Calamard said not a single police officer has been brought to justice over hundreds of gender-based human rights violations one sentencing for the entire violations committed during the 2021 protest, not just the sexual violence, but also the excessive use of force, uh, people or young people who have lost an eye, uh, those who have lost their life, you know, around 80, 90, 100, the numbers varies, the disappearances, um, people who have been tortured. Back in the United States, President Biden's asked the Democratic National Committee to dramatically reorder the presidential primary calendar by making South Carolina the first state to host a primary, followed by Nevada and New Hampshire. Georgia and then Michigan would follow. Biden said, quote, we must ensure that voters of color have a voice in choosing our nominee much earlier in the process. Biden also said caucuses should no longer be allowed as part of the nominating process. The proposal was immediately rebuked by Democratic Party party leaders in Iowa and New Hampshire, long accustomed to hosting the first contests of the primary calendar. A decision by the DNC Rules Committee could be delivered this weekend. In a major blow for former President Trump, a federal appeals court halted the review by a special master of documents seized from his Mar-a-Lago estate. The Justice Department will be able to fully resume its investigation into Trump's mishandling of classified materials. The three-judge court panel said, quote, We cannot write a rule that allows any subject of a search warrant to block government investigations after the execution of the warrant, nor can we write a rule that allows only former presidents to do so. And in Texas, survivors of the mass shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde have filed a $27 billion class action lawsuit against the city, the school district and multiple law enforcement agencies and officers. Families are demanding accountability for the series of failures in responding to the May 24th massacre. Officers waited 77 minutes before confronting the gunman as he claimed the lives of 19 school children and their two teachers. The lawsuit follows a similar suit filed this week by the mother of 10-year-old victim Eliana Cruz Torres. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. Coming up, The Killing of Shireen Abu Akleh, a new Al Jazeera documentary about the Palestinian-American journalist shot dead in May by Israeli forces. Stay with us. سكروها بوجه الناس ما عاد حدا يقدر يشوفها بعيون الناس حرقوها هدموها واحتلوا البيوت بعز Yes, me, it's a 
Die by Rimbana. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We begin today's show looking at the killing of Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Akhla by Israeli forces. On May 11th, an Israeli soldier shot her in the head as she was reporting just outside the Janine refugee camp in the occupied West Bank. Shireen and other reporters were wearing blue helmets and blue flak jackets, clearly emblazoned with the word press. Shireen was one of the prominent TV journalists, the, one of the most prominent TV journalists in the Arab world. She had worked for Al Jazeera for a quarter of a century. She was also a U.S. citizen. In the six months since her death, no one has been held responsible. After months of pressure, the Biden administration recently opened an FBI investigation into her killing. But Israel is refusing to cooperate in the probe. Israeli officials initially blamed Palestinians for her death, then called evidence inconclusive, before once again changing their story in September to say um, she had been accidentally hit by Israeli troops' gunfire after they came under fire from Palestinian gunmen. But eyewitness accounts and videos of the area where Shireen Abu Akleh was killed do not show a gun battle. And investigations by Al Jazeera, The New York Times, CNN and other news outlets also challenge the official Israeli version of Shireen's killing. The Al Jazeera documentary program Fault Lines has just premiered a remarkable documentary on what happened It's called The Killing of Shireen Abu Akhla. Later in the program, we'll be joined by Sharifa Abdel-Kaddus, the correspondent on the documentary, and Shireen's niece, Lina Abu Akhla. But first, let's turn to an excerpt from the documentary featuring Sharif speaking to five eyewitnesses, including the journalists who were with her, Mujahed Asadi, Shata Hanaisha, and Ali Samudi. This clip begins with the Al Jazeera cameraman who worked with her for some 30 years, Majdi Bonoda. A warning, this excerpt includes graphic footage. We put the helmet on Shireen. I got my camera and I wore the helmet and I followed her. We were all wearing our protective gear, a vest and a helmet. We stood so that they could see us well and recognize us as journalists. This is Ali and Shadeen walking by Salim. When we made sure that there were no confrontations, we started walking slowly, with slow steps. And about 25 seconds later, here they are walking with Shada and Mujahid up the street, all in their press jackets, just past the spot where Salim had a view of the military. <laughs> Suddenly, a round of bullets was fired. I shouted, Shireen, they're shooting at us. We have to get out of here. Just as I was saying, we have to get out of here, my shoulder exploded. I shouted, Shireen, I was shot. Or I said, Shireen, they shot me. After the first bullet, I was able to jump behind a short wall to take shelter. Shireen and Shata reached me to jump and get out of the place, but they couldn't. 
He started firing at us. I immediately pressed record. I saw Ali was wounded. He walked away. Shireen was behind the tree. I could still see her hiding behind the tree. The last words that Shireen said was, Ali has been wounded. Ali has been wounded. I mean, these ears, every day, all the time, Shireen's voice is repeating in my ears. I stepped forward again and they started saying, Shireen, Shireen, but they shot at us again. I have a blank spot in my mind. I don't remember how I got behind the tree. I got behind the tree and turned around to see if Shireen could come to where I was. At that point, I saw Shireen falling to the ground. I didn't understand that she had been gravely wounded. I stepped forward and saw Shireen on the ground. I'm holding the camera. I bend down. I want to walk, to walk towards Shireen. The whole time I wanted to shake her, to touch her, to move her. But I was also filled with fear because the tree was what was protecting us. And if I moved her, maybe she would be wounded again. I remember when I saw the blood on the ground, when the blood started coming out, that's when I realized that she had taken a bullet to the head, and I started shouting, it's her head, her head. Every time she moved, there was shooting, so I tried to approach and couldn't. A young man named Sharif jumped over the wall to try and help. But he was also fired at. An excerpt of the documentary The Killing of Shireen Abu Akla, the Al Jazeera documentary program Fault Lines, just aired this. Shireen Abu Akla worked for Al Jazeera for a quarter of a century. We're joined now by Sharif Abdelkadus, the correspondent on the documentary. Sharif, this is a powerful piece because you have put together for the first time all of these eyewitness accounts. In a moment, we're going to get the response of the United States. Shireen Abu Akla is a Palestinian-American journalist. But I'm wondering if you can talk about the significance. This is the group of journalists, colleagues, producers, filmmakers that she was with outside the Janine refugee camp. And talk about what it means to hear their description now. Right, Amy. I think what's uh, very important to understand uh, about this case, uh, first of all, this is the kind of violence that Palestinians are subject to on a daily basis. Uh, just over the past week, we've seen uh, something like nine Palestinians killed in various uh, Israeli raids in the West Bank. Um, what is what is very uh, particular about this case is, first of all, this is one of the most prominent journalists in the Arab world. She's a household name uh, across um, across the region. And um, 
a lot of what happened is caught on camera. We have all this footage, um, both from a bystander who started a TikTok video um, in the minutes leading up to the killing, and we see the Al Jazeera cameraman himself filming uh, what happened and the testimony, all this eyewitness testimony from other journalists and people who were who were there as well. And the fact that Shadeen is also a U.S. citizen. And with all of this, there is still no accountability in what happened. And so what, what we can see and what the, what the journalists and the eyewitnesses very vividly describe is that they arrived um, at the scene near the Auda roundabout, which is just outside the entrance to uh, the Jenin refugee camp. There had been an Israeli raid early that morning. Um, Israeli soldiers had gone in to do an arrest. And then they had parked uh, in a convoy of um, between five to seven vehicles up a street. Um, as you can see in the video, when Shadin arrives and the other journalists arrive, uh, the situation is completely calm. There is no gunfire whatsoever. You can see people joking as they're getting ready. Uh, they clearly put on all their protective gear, uh, their vests, their helmets. They're clearly identified with press. Some of the journalists stand facing the Israeli convoy for several minutes uh, so that the soldiers could see them and see that they're journalists. And then at some point, they begin very slowly walking up the middle of the street um, and very quickly, we hear a burst uh, of gunfire of six shots. Um, the um, uh, producer, uh, Ali Samudi, is hit in the shoulder, um, and he starts uh, running back. Some of the, One journalist jumps over a wall, and Shadin and Shada Hanesha are trying to run back as well. Eight seconds later, there's another burst of gunfire, and... Uh, this One of these bullets, um, about seven shots were fired. One of these bullets hit Shadin in the head. And you have to understand that she's wearing full body armor and a helmet. There's only a very small area that is exposed. And that's where the bullet entered uh, through the bottom of her neck and went into her head. And then we see again, um, as people are trying to rescue Shadin and rescue Shada, who's just next to her, uh, as soon as anyone's in kind of line of sight, they're fired on again, and we hear another three shots. So, you know, this wasn't kind of like errant gunfire from the Israeli convoy. This was repeated targeting. And uh, the group Forensic Analysis, along with the Palestinian rights organization Al-Haq, uh, did a remarkable investigation. And they also showed the pattern of the shots as well. Uh, they were, the convoy is about 200 meters from where Shadin was. It shows a remarkable accuracy um, of all of these shots. They're very tightly grouped together. Um, they're all shots that are above the shoulder and the, the, around the head. So these are kill shots. And they were repeatedly targeting what was very obvious. Um, and they, they also reconstruct what the marksmen would have seen, given the scope that the Israeli military uses and what this elite u unit that was stationed there uses. And you can see, Amy, that uh, there was they're clearly wearing kind of the, their, their press outfits. And I stood at that spot and looked from where the Israeli convoy was and where Shadin was killed. And it's kind of very clear. So given all of this very compelling evidence... Um, the fact that there's been no accountability whatsoever is really quite shocking. Israel in the beginning first said that it released a video that day saying a Palestinian gunman killed her. And they released this video of a, a Palestinian militant shooting. 
uh, the Israeli human rights organization, B'Tselem, went that day to debunk that claim. And we also went to that spot. And it's just a preposterous claim. Um, the bullet, we, we walked where, where the bullet, where the gunman was firing from and where Shedin was and where the Israeli convoy was. And it's a series of lefts and rights through alleyways and buildings. It's an impossible shot. There's no clear line of sight whatsoever. So uh, then the Israelis were changed their story and they said there's not enough evidence to understand what happened. And then after a lot of pressure uh, in September, they said they finally said an Israeli soldier may have accidentally killed her um, because uh, after she was caught in crossfire. Again, uh, there's no credibility whatsoever to this claim of crossfire. Both the video evidence and all the eyewitness testimony shows that the situation was completely calm and there was no crossfire whatsoever. And even with all this evidence, uh, the United States, um, the Biden administration has accepted the Israeli narrative, has been complicit in this whitewash. Um, and only recently, after a lot of pressure, did the FBI finally admit or finally decide to open an investigation. So in a moment, we're going to go to the officials, the U.S. officials who you spoke to um, about investigating this. I mean, one of the powerful parts of this documentary is you go back to all the people we just heard described, her fellow and sister journalists around her. And you ask them, were you questioned by the U.S. government? Uh, talk about this. Were you questioned for an investigation? She's an American. Right. So, um, you know, the, the United States uh, put out its uh, report in July. Uh, this was uh, something conducted by the U.S. security coordinator, which is, um, a, you know, a, a fact-finding mission on the ground in Palestine. And uh, that report was not its own investigation. The U.S. did not do an investigation. What it did was it summarized the Israeli investigation and the Palestinian Authority investigation and did a ballistics report, which was ultimately inconclusive. So um, the U.S. security report is very heavily relies on the Israeli investigation. And there's just a very short statement that was put out by the State Department that says uh, that an Israeli soldier likely killed Shadin, but that there was no intentionality whatsoever. They don't explain how they came up with this uh, conclusion of intentionality. They don't back up the claim whatsoever. And they, don't, they, they didn't conduct any of their own investigation. So n none of the eyewitnesses are questioned. This is just very basic um, uh, protocols to follow when you're trying to investigate what happened. There are several people who were with Shirin right next to her when she was shot. These are journalists as well, and you don't interview them. None of them were questioned by either Israeli officials or U.S. officials. And for the for the State Department and uh, the Biden administration to just accept this narrative by the Israelis in the killing of an American citizen. Um, is uh, it, it really goes to show how far they're willing to go and bend over backwards uh, to assist Israel in this kind of impunity. It's really it's not very comprehensible why they are doing this. Well, we're going to go back to your documentary, The Killing of Shireen Abu Akleh, that just premiered uh, on Al Jazeera's fault lines. This clip begins with Hagai Alad. He is the executive director of the Israeli human rights group Salam, talking about Israel's investigations in the killing, and then it goes on to a number of U.S. officials you sat down with, Shireen. These are sham investigations, but 
a lot of resources are invested in them by the Israeli military. So why are they going through all these motions, right? It's deliberate. You arrive at impunity, but you don't pay a price in the public arena because, hey, we're investigating. And legally speaking, these sham investigations are a legal iron dome to protect Israeli soldiers from potential international legal consequences. They're trying to block the path for international jurisdiction, and they're trying to win the public relations game. The United States seems to be relying heavily on the Israeli investigation um, of the killing. Do you think that's adequate? It's not just not adequate, it's outrageous. Like, this isn't happening in a vacuum. There are hundreds of other case files. This is well-established facts that Israel does not conduct investigations that are meant to arrive at holding people accountable. For Shirin's family, the U.S. backing of the Israeli investigation was particularly upsetting, especially after President Biden declined to meet with them in both Palestine and Washington. We really expected lots more from the U.S. government, but we're not getting anything. There's nothing except... Uh, Sweet talking and condolences, something anyone can do. He preaches about press freedom, protection of journalists, but the way he did not hold the same values when Shirin was killed was very, very upsetting. And it just showed the double standards uh, when a Palestinian American journalist is killed. This is an American citizen. We have a duty to pursue the facts wherever they lead, as Secretary Blinken himself said. Senator Chris Van Hollen has led a group of his colleagues in pushing the Biden administration to investigate Shadeen's killing. Why do you think the State Department hasn't conducted an independent investigation yet? Their new view, uh, not the original words of the secretary, is that uh, they will take these other investigations that have been completed. Uh, the, the problem, the challenge is uh, they've reached, reached very different uh, conclusions. Uh, you, you have, first of all, the, the IDF uh, report justifies uh, the shooting and the shooting death uh, based on claims that there was a crossfire. But you also have um, independent analyses that have been done that clearly dispute that claim. Um, and the IDF has not put the facts on the table that show how it reached that conclusion. They've not made public uh, their analysis. This was a U.S. citizen. Um, do you believe the administration has upheld their duty? I do not. Uh, I think we have a duty to do what the Secretary of State originally said. They appear to have backed off, uh, but I believe, and many of my colleagues believe, that we've got to get to the bottom of this and it cannot be swept under the rug. The State Department declined to make Secretary of State Blinken available to speak with us. And in an interview, a department spokesperson continually deferred to the U.S. Security Coordinator's report and the Israeli investigation. U.S. security coordinator on the ground worked with both Palestinians and Israelis, in some cases uh, physically bridging those two investigations to prepare his own set of findings. Let me just ask you about the central claim in the Israeli military's report that if an Israeli soldier killed her, 
It was because Shirin was caught in exchange of fire by Palestinian gunmen in the area. That claim is completely disputed by eyewitness testimony and video footage from that area in the minutes leading up to and during the shooting. Doesn't that discrepancy concern you? Uh, of course, we are concerned when there are allegations that a civilian uh, was intentionally targeted. What the Israelis found and what our security coordinator found uh, was that there uh, appears to have been no intentionality. Uh, our security coordinator uh, found no reason to believe that Shireen Abulakla was intentionally targeted have you by, seen the footage? by Israeli. Uh, of course. And, and I have, I have uh, looked at everything uh, that is available uh, in the public domain. Clearly, they have not done what they said themselves they were going to do. Secretary of State said there would be an independent investigation. There has not been an independent investigation. Backing off uh, sends the wrong message around the world. Beyond the State Department, we wanted to ask the White House about Shirin. Thank you. I have a question on the killing of Al Jazeera journalist Shirin Abu Akleh. The U.S. security coordinator's report was not an investigation. It was based on the Israeli investigation, the PA's investigation. There was a ballistics analysis done that was inconclusive. None of the key eyewitnesses have even been interviewed. Why has the U.S. not conducted an independent investigation to the killing of an American citizen? We said from the very beginning uh, that uh, that we wanted it fully transparently investigated. Uh, we recognize that the, the Israelis did conduct uh, a thorough investigation. Do you characterize it as a thorough investigation when no key eyewitnesses have been interviewed? And there's clear video evidence that contradicts the central claim in the killing of a U.S. citizen. Well, again, we continue to mourn with the family. And the, 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 this obviously should not have happened. But I'm not going to speak anymore about the investigation that's been completed. Last question. Just two weeks after this, and over six months after Shadin was killed, news broke that the FBI, independent of the White House, would open an investigation into the killing. The Israeli government made clear they would not cooperate. Given that, and the U.S. administration's statement since the killing, it's unclear how thorough and transparent the investigation will truly be. I think it could be helpful if it's genuine. But I think the U.S. has lost so much credibility so far in this regard. We're not in a neutral point in time. The U.S. government is now on record expressing its trust and confidence in the so-called Israeli investigation. So we're not at a clean slate in this regard. Like we're deep into this territory in which the U.S. has aligned itself with the Israeli narrative on this killing. That's an excerpt of the killing of Shreen Abu Akleh, which just premiered on the Al Jazeera documentary program Fault Lines. To see the full documentary on Al Jazeera's English YouTube page, you can—we will link to it at democracynow.org. Uh, Sharif Abdelkadus is with us, the correspondent on this documentary, as well as Lina Abu Akleh, the niece of Shireen Abu Akleh. And we welcome you both. Uh, Sharif, we watched you 
question one official after another. Ned Price, the State Department spokesperson, um, uh, Admiral John Kirby of the National Security Council now. You even tried to question President Biden. And since this time, the FBI has announced it's opening an investigation. Uh, can you talk about what the U.S. is saying now? Well, uh, you know, the, the FBI has announced it's opening an investigation. We have, to, we have to understand this is coming after a lot of pressure. Uh, the family has not given up on uh, pushing for accountability. Uh, the, the amount of evidence uh, that is clear, and also we're seeing in Congress, um, you know, nearly half of the uh, Democratic members of the Senate uh, have called into question. They, they they wrote a letter calling into question Israel's claims that um, that Shadin was accidentally shot by an Israeli soldier, and um, you know suggesting that she may have been targeted as a journalist. So uh, we have pressure from Congress, from the family, all this video evidence, media pressure as well from human rights organizations, and finally uh, this announcement that the FBI is going to open an investigation. I think, as we heard from um, the uh, executive director of Batsalam. The U.S. is not starting from a neutral point. They've already expressed uh, their support for the Israeli narrative. We'll have to see what the FBI investigation comes up with. Israel has made very clear that it's not going to cooperate in any way whatsoever. The soldiers will not be um, available to be interviewed. They will not release the body cam footage that Israeli soldiers uh, almost always are wearing. Uh, so we'll have to see and how transparent as well the FBI makes this investigation, whether accountability uh, comes forward, but uh, but certainly it's it's a positive step, and it, but it has only come uh, after months, months of pressure and compelling evidence uh, and, that is very difficult to contradict. And we're going to talk about where some of that pressure is coming from. Lina Abuakle is with us uh, from San Francisco. Lina is the niece of Shireen Abuakle. Lina, you, your father Tony, your whole family has been pushing extremely hard for this investigation. Um, your Aunt Shireen um, is an American citizen. President Biden went to Israel and the West Bank. Talk about who you have gotten to see. You met with Anthony Blinken. Is that right, Anthony Blinken? Um, have you met with President Biden? What do you feel about the FBI announcing after six months they will open an investigation? Yeah, thank you, Amy. Um, we met with uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken in July. Uh, we were hoping to have met with uh, President Biden, especially during his visit to the region. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, even though he was 10 minutes away from uh, where Shirin was born and raised. Uh, we still hope that we will get to meet him. It's really important that he hears directly from our family and for us to see uh, and to hear from their end how they're pursuing all their efforts towards accountability. We were actually very encouraged uh, by the news that the FBI will be investigating. This is something we've been calling on from day one since Shireen was a U.S. citizen, and it's the duty of uh, the United States to investigate any crimes uh, uh, carried out by a foreign army outside towards against the U.S. citizen. And we stand ready to support uh, the U.S. in conducting this independent and thorough investigation, following all the evidence uh, where it leads up and down the chain of command. And we've seen how Israeli army is uh, 
uh, unable and unwilling to investigate themselves. That's why it's really important for the FBI to be investigating. And we also hope that the, uh, the United States FBI will employ all tools necessary to get the answers that we've been, uh, we've been asking regarding the killing of Shireen, but also uh, to lead to accountability and justice. That's what we want. Uh, we want there to be accountability. We want there to be justice. And during our trip to D.C. in July, we met with uh, various members of Congress and uh, representatives who have been uh, calling out uh, for an investigation, who have been uh, supporting us and uh, constantly pushing uh, towards uh, towards an independent investigation. On November 15th, U.S. House Representative Andre Carson, one of the few Muslim members of Congress, along with 21 other House Democrats, introduced the Justice for Shireen Act, separate from the FBI's investigation right now. Um, also, you have the FBI not saying specifically how they're going to investigate this, and you have the outgoing Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz saying, quote, that Israel, the IDF will not cooperate with an external investigation, will not enable intervention to internal investigations. Um, your response to this, as um, Israel uh, puts together at this point, is forming uh, the most right-wing government in its history. Yeah, well, from the very beginning, we saw how Israel lied and distorted the truth and they've been unwilling uh, to investigate, and they have a track record of uh, escaping guilt and accountability. So we weren't expecting uh, anything from them, and that should be obvious to anyone. But at the end of the day, we still hope that all parties will cooperate in this investigation. Uh, but we've seen the overwhelming evidence that's already been gathered by all the reputable uh, news outlets, and especially this documentary, the A.J. Faultlines documentary, that's so powerful, but very painful and, and difficult to watch. But it's so important for everyone to see that the evidence is there. The eyewitnesses are, uh, are it, it, they show the eyewitness testimonies. Uh, so I'm sure that regardless of uh, Israel's uh, cooperation, uh, the U.S. will still uh, follow through and carry out a thorough investigation. And uh, we are hopeful that this would uh, lead to accountability. And regardless of uh, any new uh, government in Israel, uh, we still hope that uh, this investigation carries through. Well, Lena Abu Akla, we want to thank you for being with us, the niece of Shireen Abu Akla, one of the most famous Arab uh, journalists in the world, a Palestinian-American journalist, um, and Sharif Abdel-Kudus, the correspondent on this Fault Lines piece, The Killing of Shireen Abu Akla. We're going to link to it at uh, democracynow.org, the YouTube version of the documentary. But I want to end with Shireen Abu Akla in her own words. Words, an excerpt from the killing of Shireen Abu Akla. Sometimes the Israeli army doesn't want you there, so they target you, even if they later say it was an accident. They might say, we saw some young men around you. So they target you on purpose, as a way of scaring you off, because they don't want you there. The words of Shireen Abu Akla. Coming up, 
Angela Davis, when high school students in Rockland County, New York, invited the renowned professor to speak. Her event got shut down not once, but twice. But the students persevered, and last night, hundreds of people packed into a Nyack church. Stay with us. Gifted in Black by Nina Simone. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman. As we turn to a remarkable scene that unfolded last night just north of New York City in Nyack, New York, in Rockland County, this is how the Journal News reported it. Quote, Activist and educator Angela Davis came to Rockland after all Thursday evening, meeting with North Rockland teens and hundreds of others after a planned school-sponsored event unraveled amidst criticism that she was too radical for the county and its children. The event finally took place at Pilgrim Baptist Church, with 500 people crowded in. There was no prior publicity, a strategic move, organizers said, after the North Rockland School District and then quietly St. Thomas Aquinas College in Spark Hill pulled out of hosting the civil rights activists because of protests. When Davis appeared, before she reached the podium, her audience burst into applause and gave her a standing ovation. <laughs> Angela Davis was introduced by North Rockland High School senior Anaya Willis with the student group Voice that invited Angela Davis to speak. The fact that we are able to stand and sit here today and fight for what we believe in, even if people are afraid of change, is an amazing thing because it shows that we can overcome anything if we all just put our minds to it. <laughs> Quoting the powerful Angela Davis herself, I'm no longer accepting things I cannot change. I'm changing things I cannot accept. When Angela Davis addressed the packed church, she said she was especially moved by the students' invitation to speak in Rockland County because it was the longtime home of her dear friend and editor, the late great novelist Toni Morrison, who wrote the introduction to her biography, which has just been republished in a new edition. Davis talked about her history of activism and her hope for the future. But I think every day about the fact that I am associated with a people who have refused to give up yes. after centuries and centuries. 
Not only that, not only that, but who have created beauty in the process of struggling. So that was Thursday night. Angela Davis in Rockland County in Anayak Church. She joins us now in New York City. The world-renowned abolitionist, author, activist, and distinguished professor emerita at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Her many books include Abolition, Feminism Now, and a new updated edition of her 1974 memoir, Angela Davis, an autobiography, now published by Haymarket Books, which is the focus of her event tonight at the Brooklyn Academy of Music at BAM in Brooklyn. Also with us, Nikki Hines, NIAC NAACP president, community activist in Rockland County, who supported the students at Rockland County High School when they invited Angela to speak. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Angela Davis, this is a reprise of what happened a few years ago when you went home to Birmingham. Same thing. You end up doing an event outside of the place you were actually invited, and so many more people turned out. Talk about the significance of last night's event. Well, you know, first of all, um, it was um, a really wonderful to see the outpouring of support from the community in Rockland County, especially uh, from uh, the black community. Uh, I was um, entirely impressed uh, by the students who took the initiative to invite me and um, who— um, indicated uh, during the course of the event uh, that they better, you know, understood how to stand up and, and, and fight back. Uh, um, I, um, I was absolutely shocked when I was told that an event that had been planned many, many, many months ago uh, was canceled at the last minute uh, by the um, school board, uh, super, by the superintendent of schools in, in, in Rockland County. Um, and, um, well, you know, I, I can say that, uh, you know, after all of these years, after, uh, you know, more than a half century of doing this work, I continue to be, you know, absolutely stunned uh, uh, by the ways in which uh, people mis not only misrepresent me, and, and I'm not so much concerned about that. I'm concerned about the misrepresentation of movements against racism, uh, uh, against gender inequality, uh, for freedom. Uh, and um, the students... Um, were absolutely beautiful last night. I uh, uh, feel really inspired to continue this work as a result of my encounter with them. Nikki Hines, you were pivotal uh, working with the students and ensuring that Angela Davis' voice could be heard. Now, let's talk about the significance of this area. You're the president of the NIAC chapter of the NAACP. We're talking about upstate New York, and Hudson NAACP was involved, the various chapters of the NAACP. This is an area of New York 
that has determined the balance of the U.S. Congress, right? Four seats were flipped from Democrat to Republican. Can you talk about where this opposition came from? A group of high school students invite Angela Davis to speak. It becomes a school board issue. The board backs the superintendent. They put it off site. That's canceled. Then you have another event at St. Thomas Aquinas College planned uh, for last night. That's canceled. And finally, uh, an African-American church opens its doors and more people turn out than probably would have ever turned out. And this was without any uh, publicity. Yeah. So what was the opposition? So the opposition, um, first and foremost, good morning, um, Amy, and good morning, uh, Dr. Davis. Um, You know, the opposition was all uh, negative and um, misinformation of, you know, um, white folks who don't get it, um, white folks who don't want to get it. And so um, it's all misinformation of, of who Dr. Davis is and not wanting the students to have their voice um, in Rockland County. And the fact that these students persisted, these young people at the high school uh, would not give up in ensuring that there would be a platform for Angela Davis. Um, Talk about last night's event. Is it true that you had to tell the police this was happening at the last minute because um, of the kind of backlash you were getting? And as soon as that happened... Then the backlash against last night's event began, but it was so soon before the event, but, you know, it couldn't be stopped. Yeah. So, you know, when we were going to do it um, at St. Thomas Aquinas College and, you know, at the last minute, um, really the last minute and last hour, um, St. Thomas Aquinas College canceled on us at 850 um, on Tuesday evening. And so, you know, uh, scrambled around and had to find a place to um, have the event and thank thank goodness for you know Pastor Washington and Pilgrim Baptist Church and opening its doors and we did tell the police at the last minute um, where what we were doing and 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 you know why we were doing it and still we couldn't be stopped um, so you know I am so thankful that watching the students last night and I'm so thankful that we were able to push through for them and give them their voice and have them see their vision come to fruition. Um, You know, they needed to know that the community had their back and we were going to push forward to do anything um, to make it work. So, Angela Davis, if you can talk about your message last night, and um, uh, you have been speaking for so many decades, you've been an activist for so many years. What you think of what is happening today with laws around the country cracking down on free speech, uh, this kind of enormous pressure brought that leads to pre-censorship, young people afraid to invite someone because it might lead to something like this. But what you had to say last night. Well, I was... Actually, speaking about uh, what has been called the new McCarthyism, uh, I, I didn't actually use those words last night, uh, uh, but uh, I uh, you know, talked about 
the importance of coming together and creating the kinds of communities that can bolster uh, our efforts to move forward. I spoke about um, the fact that um, uh, we've actually made a lot of progress in this country. I don't want to create the impression uh, that uh, uh, we've brought an end to racism and um, um, misogyny and homophobia, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, but I talked about the importance of recognizing uh, that through struggle, through organized struggle, through the efforts of people who come together and join hands and join their voices together, we've made changes in this country. Uh, and there are those uh, who... Uh, do not want to accept the fact that uh, we're moving in a productive, uh, progressive direction. Uh, you know, I spoke about the fact that the the, the very last uh, person who occupied the office of the presidency uh, uh, attempted to convey the impression um, uh, that we should return to the past uh, uh, and that the Actions of the students and the community uh, in that particular instance was a powerful demonstration of the uh, uh, capacity to continue uh, to move forward in a progressive direction. You know, I spoke about the fact that it was uh, uh, very important that this movement was being led by students. Uh, young people are the closest uh, to the future. Young people are the ones who have the greatest stake on imagining and creating a, a more uh, democratic uh, future, a, f a, a future characterized uh, uh, by justice and equality and and and, and freedom. Um, Angela <laughs> Davis, I wanted to ask you about Toni Morrison, because where you went last night, I mean, Rockland County, this was the home county of Toni Morrison. And she was a dear friend of yours. She was your editor. Is it true she got you to write the autobiography in 1974 <laughs> yes. of the young Angela? Um, and what it means, you were asked if her literature... Her, I mean, she won the Nobel Literature Prize. She won a Pulitzer Prize. Is she required reading in Rockland? Well, uh, apparently, uh, the you know probably the most uh, renowned uh, resident of Rockland County uh, is not uh, 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 required. Her works are not required. Um, you know, I pointed out that I actually had a relationship with Rockland County uh, because of the fact that I visited Toni Morrison many, many times in in three different um, residencies uh, in in Rockland County, and I had learned a, a, a bit about the problems uh, uh, in, in in that that county. Uh, uh, but I think that. Uh, uh, now the, 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 the students are convinced that they can bring about change, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they uh, were not at the forefront of an effort to guarantee uh, that the students uh, who attend public schools in that county uh, uh, read the works of Toni Morrison. 
Well, we're going to part, do part two of our conversation, and we're going to post online at democracynow.org. And also at democracynow.org, we're going to link to this whole remarkable history-making event that took place last night, Thursday night, um, in Rockland County. Angela Davis could not be silenced. Uh, Angela Davis, the world-renowned abolitionist, author, activist, and distinguished professor emerita at University of California, Santa Cruz. Uh, her autobiography has just been Republished by Haymarket. She'll be speaking at BAM tonight on that autobiography. And Nikki Hines, NIAC and NAACP president, uh, community activist in Rockland County. A happy early birthday to Emily Gosselin, Democracy Now! produced with Renee Fels Dina Gosder Messiah Rhodes, Maria Tarasena Tammy Warnoff, Sharina Nadura Sam Alcoff, Tamari Astu, Joe John Hamilton. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks for joining us.